Praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. Let praise arise. Sing your name in the dark and it changes everything. We sing with all we are and we claim your victory. Let it rise. The giants fall, fear cannot survive when we praise you. Let God break things on our side, forever lifting him high. With all creation cry, God, we praise you. Oh, we praise you. Let faith be the song that calms a storm inside of me. Let it rise. Let faith rise. see you break down every wall. We'll watch the giants fall. Fear cannot survive when we praise you. And
feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you, we praise you. This is what heaven looks like. This is what singing this morning would you be seated thanks for joining us this morning at Shelby Christian uh, we're going to come into a time of communion now and uh, you know communion is one of those times that I think is the most important time of the service God instructed us in the Bible every week to to remember what Jesus did on the cross to me it's kind of a struggle though to know how much sorrow there should be because of Christ's suffering on the cross Yet how much joy there should be because he went to the cross and took our sins with him. And because of that, we have the greatest life insurance policy ever. We can have the chance for eternity in heaven with him because of what Jesus did on that cross. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we just, we just praise you for the chance to be here and, and to worship you, uh, especially after the, the last year that we've had. And it's just, so comforting to be able to to lift your name up here together and and worship with our brothers and sisters and father like the song we just sang you know praise is something that that the enemy hates and that's our that's our fight in the battle is to be able to praise you and we do that this morning, Father, and we praise you most of all because of you allowing your son to go to the cross for us. And we're going to take this bread and this cup now that, that commemorates his body and blood that was broken and, and shed on that tree. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
Would you stand one more time with us and let's let's see our victory. The God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you.
over there thinking, um, have you guys, have, have any of you guys seen a victory in your life? We just sang that song, right? Have you, can I, can I, can somebody clap if you've seen a victory in your life? Yeah. I, I was just sitting over there thinking, or standing over there thinking, I wonder how many victories are represented here this morning, right? I wonder how many victories, how, how many, how many times you could just stop if you ever get you know, just the opportunities to stop and to think and to pray and to sing a song like this and say, God, I see a victory. I see a victory. I see another victory. God, you are the God of these victories because here's what happens, right? We can kind of get into this rut, this routine, this life and kind of go on and we're like, sometimes it can kind of be negative and down and bad or whatever. And it's like, God, where are the victories? And it's good to just be reminded this morning of, of some of those victories. Hey, we're in week four of launch. We're looking at the early church and how it was launched in the New Testament. And this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter five. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and open that up and get there. We'll be there here in a second. I want to, uh, this morning, kind of show you how we're going to walk through this. I want to share two stories with you. One's in the New Testament, one's in the Old Testament. Then I want to show you how those two stories relate to one another and how they connect, how God connects them. Um, kind of like one of these, like, you have to kind of dig into it a little bit more. So that's kind of what I did this week for you on your behalf, because there's a little wink in here because God uses a word in the Old Testament with a story. And he uses a similar phrase and word in this story. We're going to look at the New Testament in Acts chapter five. And he connects these two things. And there's this powerful truth wrapped up in all that. And so I want to show you that this morning. But we've been looking at the early church. And in the last few weeks, we've been talking about the boldness and the courage that it took uh, for, for people to just step forward by the leading of the Holy Spirit in the church to be launched right out into the future. And that's what we're talking about, the roots of who we are as a church. There's this uncommon unity and there's this unparalleled generosity that we we see with the early church. There's this love that they have for one another and this joy that they have that surpasses really everything that anybody could ever understand. And they're, they're this group of people, this fledgling group of people in the beginning that everyone else in Jerusalem and around that part of the world are looking at going, what's going on over there with those Jesus people? And so we're looking at, at that story and how that brought us to where we are here today. The church in Acts was facing some incredible challenges. We talked about those the last several weeks. Uh, week one, Dave talked about the, the power that it took for the Holy Spirit to launch the church. In week two, Matt talked about some of those obstacles. And last week, we talked about some more of those obstacles as we read about that in, in the first few chapters of Acts. There is that opposition. There's those threats. There's that, that threat of the cross that hung over them daily. This group of people that were out saying something um, that was blasphemous in their culture. To other people and people were, religious leaders were pushing back at them and they're like, you guys can't say that. You got to be quiet. And over and over and over again, you'll see this again today in our part of this story that happens for them. But there was this threat of they could be in prison. They could be, they could be put on a cross. But here's what happens. And you'll see this today in this first story is that sometimes the biggest threats to us come from unexpected places. And what you're going to see today is that the greatest challenge for the church in Acts, their greatest challenge wouldn't necessarily come from those on the outside, but it would come from within. And what you will see this morning is that sometimes the battles 
that, that are waged, right? Those victories that need to be won, those are the victories that need to be won right in here, right? They need to be won in our hearts. They, they need to be won in our minds because those are some of our greatest battles. I want you to look at this first story. It's the uh, Acts. Actually, we're going to look at the last two verses of Acts chapter four, because it's important to the story this morning. Here's what it says in Acts chapter four, verses 36 and 37. And then we'll go right into chapter five. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles feet. Now, here you have this, this mention of this guy who, who sells some island property. He's like, he lives on the island of Cyprus. He sells this land. He, he, he brings the profits, the proceeds, and he gives it to the church. He lays it at the feet of the church because the church is, is, is just started, right? And it's, it's growing and there are people coming in all over. The, there are thousands. Peter's already pre- preached today a Pentecost sermon now. So thousands of people are, are, are kind of connected to the church, but they're spread out all over the place. And so there are these needs. There are things that are going on. And so people are bringing money to the apostles so that they can help those who are in need. And so Barnabas does this. He is inspired by this story. He's inspired by who, who Jesus is and what he's teaching. And so he's a part of this movement now. And so you can kind of imagine what's going on here. He's, he's recorded in scripture. So people knew his name. They knew what he'd done. And so there was probably that, that buzz that was kind of percolating in the community about, Hey, did you guys hear Barnabas? He's, isn't he such, like, as such a generous thing for old Barnabas to do. He is such a good guy, right? And, and, and Joseph Barnabas, he didn't do that to, to get the pat on the back or to get the recognition. He just did it. But that was just kind of a re- natural reaction by people. So I'm sure people saw that and heard what had happened. And so they're talking about Barnabas's donation, his generosity right here in the last part of Acts chapter four. And then I want you to see what happens in Acts chapter five. This leads us to a married couple, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira. They also sold a piece of property, right? And so you have this couple, oh, Ananias and Sapphira, they're thinking, well, hey, we've got some extra land laying around. Let's go sell that because we see this need as well. And let's let's give that to the church. And they probably recognized that Barnabas was getting some recognition, and they thought, you know, that'd be nice for people to think that of us. And so let, let's do the let's do the same thing. I want you to look at what they decide to do. I'll give verse two. It says, Ananias, he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. That's the important. That's a really important part of this story. Claiming it was the full amount with his wife's consent. Another really important part of the story. He kept the rest of the money. Now. This couple, they decide, like I said, to sell this land. They decide to give a portion of that to the church. Nothing at all wrong with that, right? They decide to hold a portion of it back for themselves. Again, nothing wrong with that. It's their blessing. It's it's what God's given them. So they're going to give a portion to the church. They could have held a portion back for themselves. Those two things in themselves, nothing wrong with it. The problem was, the problem was... That there was this war. There was this tension in here. There was this thing going on inside of Ananias and Sapphira. And so there was this, this dishonesty and this greed that kind of takes hold inside of them. Because they, they want to appear to be something that they really aren't. Here's what happens next. Peter understands what's going on here. The Holy Spirit is, is, is leading him. And so it says... Verse 3, Ananias, he brings this money before Peter. Ananias, why have you let Satan, notice this, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. You could, how could you do a thing like this? Peter says. You weren't lying to us, but to God. Immediately, right here in the, in the front end of this story, Peter addresses the issue that's going on here. This is a heart issue. 
with Ananias at this point. And God's concern, when I look at stories like this and think about this scenario, is that God's concern for us always starts with our hearts, doesn't it? His concern for our lives begins with our hearts. Your heart is going to lead. It's going to lead the way that you live your life, the choices you make, the decisions you make, the words you use, the way you love other people, the way you worship God, right? The the way that you think about all the victories that he's won in your life, the time you spend thanking God, thank you for those things, right? Your heart leads you in so many different directions. I bet your heart before has led you in some directions, maybe some, some good choices, maybe some bad choices. You've done some things, some impulsive things, and you're like, you were just leading with your heart and you stepped out there. The heart is always God's concern. And, and Peter addresses it right here in the beginning of this story. Satan, he says, Satan has filled your heart, Ananias. And so we think about what God wants from us when we give. The Bible talks about a joyful heart, joyfully giving whatever we want to give to the Lord, to bring it before the Lord. And so when we give that to the Lord. It's like this joyful thing that we should be expressing when we give things to the Lord. Not this reluctant, like deceitful, dishonest thing that we are seeing experience right here in the first few verses of chapter 5. And that's exactly what goes on with Ananias and Sapphira. They, they were giving to impress other people. And, and what that did was that revealed some of their character, didn't it? That revealed kind of who they were as people. It uncovers the fact that they were unmoved by God's grace. And it casts light on a heart that was only interested in self-motives. And so look at what happens next. Because this is who Ananias and Sapphira were in verse 5 and 6. It says, And because of this, it cost them their lives. And in verse 5, it says, As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and he died. Right? He, he, Peter says, Ananias, you're lying. You've lied to, you're lying to us, but more importantly, you've lied to God. And right there after he hears these things, this man who's, who's been, just been said, your, your, your heart, Satan has filled your heart. He dies. Everyone who heard about this story was terrified. Yeah, I think, I think that would probably be the case. You know, can you imagine like, hey, did you guys hear like, oh, Ananias, he took some money in to give it to the church, put it at Peter's feet. And like he did that and like he wasn't real honest about everything that was going on. And like right there in the room, he just falls dead, right? That's kind of, that's the story that's getting told. That's what happened here. Everyone heard it and they were, they were terrified. Can you believe this is what happened? And then it says, then some young men got up, they wrapped him in a sheet and he took him out and they buried him. See, Ananias was not interested in being generous as much as he was interested in appearing generous. And God goes right to the source of this. He goes right to his heart. And when we read this story, it's, it's, it's a shocking story right here in the, the first few chapters of Acts. The issue wasn't the amount that he gave or that he withheld. The issue was the dishonesty. The lie revealed the truth about his heart. Their greed was not just material, but it was spiritual. Look at what happens next with his wife, Sapphira. She comes in a few hours later. It's, the Bible says about three hours later she came in. So I don't know what, like where, oh, Sapphira was. Maybe she was, she, they had some proceeds from this land that she sold. So she was out maybe, maybe shopping, maybe looking for some new furniture, maybe looking for another priest. She was out doing something. But three hours later she comes in, not knowing what had happened, to her husband, and Peter asked her, Was this the price that you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. And when the young man came, the young men came in, they saw that she was dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who had heard what happened. I think, I would think so, right? Like, have you guys heard what's happening? Do you hear what, Ananias and Sapphira, do you hear what happened to those guys? Like they were, they, they, they were trying to put one over on Peter and the church and, and, and now they're dead. So this great fear is amongst the church. May, you know, you may hear this story. I've, I've read this story before. A lot of you guys have heard this story before. And I've, when I've read this story, I'm like, man, it seems like God's kind of harsh on them. Because they did give some of the money 
to the church. Now they did, you know, tell a little, little lie or whatever, but like for the most part, right? And so sometimes you read a story like this and you're like, God, what are you, what are you up to here? Like, what are you trying to show us in a story like this? Because it seems, it seems a little harsh, maybe sometimes to us. Well, that's where I want to take you to story number two. Here's story number two. This is in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Joshua. All right, so if you want to go over there real quick, we'll be in kind of in verse or chapter six, chapter seven. It's kind of where this story kind of falls. And here's what's happening in, in Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua is the uh, next leader. Moses is dead. Joshua is the next leader of the Israelite people. Okay, and so Joshua is leading the people. Now, the Israelite people are experiencing some just great times. They have this mighty army, and they're they're marching toward this promised land that God has for them. And in the middle of of this story, there's this small story that we see this morning about a man named Achan. Joshua 6 records how the Israelite people had taken down their first city. It was the city of Jericho. Some of you guys remember that story, city of Jericho. They march around it. Then on the seventh day, they march around it seven times. They blow their horns. God says, don't do anything but blow your horns. Don't say anything else. They blow their horns. They yell. They rush into the city walls fall. They rush in and God says to the people, he tells Joshua to tell the Israelite people, you're going to go take Jericho. But here's what you need to do. When you go in, you're going to just, you're going to wipe it, wipe it off the face of the earth. You're going to wipe it clean. You're going to kill. And this, I mean, you read this, you're like, man, this was a very harsh thing. But God says everything, men, women, children, livestock, it all goes. Don't take any, don't, don't leave anything alive, anyone alive. And then anything that's of value, gold, silver, I, I take all that stuff and, and bring that to me. And so the Israelite people go in. They go into Jericho. Jericho falls. They, 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 they take it. They, they take anything of value. They take it away. And a man named Achan takes some of the, he takes a Babylonian robe. He takes 200 silver coins and he takes a bar of, yeah, silver coins and he takes a bar of gold that weighed about a pound, the Bible says. And he takes those things for himself. He, he's, they're in the city. It's fallen. It's chaos, right? And they're just taking all the loot, right? And so they take it out. They're supposed to take it to the God, to God. And Achan decides, you know what? I, I think I'm going to take some of this and I'm going to keep it for myself. And so he takes it and he buries it in his tent. He keeps it for himself. I want you to look at what happens in Joshua chapter seven. This is right after the Israelite people. Um, They've had these great battles. They took a great city like Jericho. And now they go to this little town called Ai. And they, there was a, they were an army of about 40 or 50,000 men. But this little town of Ai that they're going to take, they thought they only needed, Joshua thought they only needed about 3,000 men. Or, 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 yeah, just like 3,000 because it was a small town. So they send about 3,000 Israelite warriors to the town of Ai to take it. And they get defeated. They get wiped away. Like, like 40, 50, like a, a half of their army is gone and they come back to Joshua and, and God says this to Joshua because Joshua's confused. He's like, God, why, what's going on here? We were, we're your people. Like we are supposed to be taking this promised land that you have, you have given to us. And look at what God says to Joshua in chapter seven, verses 11 and 12. He says this to him. He says, Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded, that commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but they have lied about it, and they've hidden these things among their own belongings. This is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now, look at this, for now, Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. And look what God says that he's going to do. To the Israelite people. He says, I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destruction. And so God says, there, you guys have an issue, Joshua, in your camp. And you need to address it. Because I'm not, I'm going to pull back. I'm going to pull back my blessing until this is dealt with. And so God shows Joshua that Achan is the man that's guilty. And Achan, they bring him out. They say, Achan, is this true? Did you do this? And Achan confesses. Achan says, yeah, I, I did this. This is, this is what happened. Joshua sends soldiers to Achan's tent to retrieve the items. And then here's what it says. They take the items. They take Achan. They take his wife. They take his family. 
They throw them in this valley of anchor and they stone them to death and then they burn it all. (laughs) Again, you read a story like that and you're like, wow, God, that seems like really harsh. That seems really like what's going on here? What are what are you doing here? And it may be one of those things where you read that story like, God, are, are you are you did you overreact? But here's what we need to understand. That was the first battle, the first real battle that the Israelite people were were going to undertake in Jericho. And so they're on the, the precipice. They're on the edge of like this, this great promised land, these people that God is like going to establish to do something great. And so what God is doing right here in the very beginning is he's saying, these are my people. And, and I want you to have this heart for me. I don't want you to get caught up in these other things. I want you to have a heart for me and for me only. Right. And so he establishes this like line in the sand that says, when you do these kind of things, there's going to be repercussions. Something someone's going to have to answer for these things. They were a pristine people at that time. No blemishes among them. This was the first time that someone stepped outside of God's instructions and allowed greed to enter their camp. And so that failure by Achan, it risks this avalanche of imitations from other people. You know, God was looking at this going like, if if this is allowed to happen, then others will do things similar. And we will quickly lose our focus on what's important. And it won't be anymore about God and what God's doing in us and through us and for us and how he's leading us. We'll get caught up in this stuff, these, these silver coins. And these gold bars and these nice clothes. And so God ends it right there. He nips it in the bud from the beginning. God knew that this sinful act by Achan couldn't stand. And that others would begin to chase after those material things of the world. And he put a stop to it. And so there's this breach of character that happens with God's people when God draws a line. Now you look at that story in the Old Testament Joshua 6 and 7 about Achan. And then you know about the story now in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. Here's, here's something that's very interesting. Luke, who's the author of Acts, he uses a word in his story. He uses a word. There's another um, version of Acts 5 too, and it says this, that Ananias kept back a portion of the money for himself. There's a Greek word there that, that means to embezzle. And so there's this understanding that like Luke uses a Greek word embezzle when he uh, tells the story in Acts chapter 5. Here's what's interesting is in the Old Testament, in the story of Achan, the same word is used. The, in the Old Testament, it was written in Hebrew, but then they translated into the Greek, which is the Septuagint. I know this gets a little into the weeds, right? But they, they translated. And so the same Greek word that was translated in the Old Testament in this story is the same word that Luke uses in the New Testament. It's the, and it's a, it's a very odd and, and rarely used phrase or word. And so what Luke is doing here is he's tying what's going on with Ananias and Sapphira back to what happened in Achan in the Old Testament. And it's this understanding, right? That, that when, when things get in front in the way when, when, when God's people are about to do something incredible and mighty and he's starting something from nothing and it's this, like it's spotless and, and blameless and pristine like the people of Israel were right there in the beginning and like the church in Acts was in chapter 5, like things are going good. Now with their struggles, right, there's opposition, there's things going on, but, but like the battle that's going to be waged is going to be one that's going to be waged in your heart. And that's what happened, was happening with Achan in the Old Testament. It's what happened with Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. So God takes that and he says, we, this can't happen. We cannot allow this to continue. And he does something very striking. He ends those people's lives. And so you can look at these stories and go, God, man, that was very, that was a very serious things. Those are very serious actions. You must take these things very serious. And he does. When God... What God did with Achan in the Old Testament and what he did with Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. What we need to understand is that they were breaking the covenant with God. And anytime a covenant with God is broken, the risk for everyone else to follow in those wicked ways is there. And so God couldn't allow the greed and the selfishness and the dishonesty to infect his people. Now, did did God need Achan's robe 
Did God need Achan's silver or the bar of gold that was dug in a hole in his tent? No, he didn't need those things. Those were already his. Did, did God need Ananias and Sapphira's portion of that, the rest of that money for whatever? No, obviously not. God can do, he, it's his already. And he didn't need those things. That wasn't the issue in these stories. The issue was their hearts, wasn't it? It wasn't about their material possessions. It was the condition of their hearts. And in these stories, the people, they didn't trust God to provide for them. That's, that's a big part of this is that they trusted themselves. They, they, they were leaning on their own things, these material possessions. And they thought, you know what? God's come through, but there may be a day and time when he doesn't come through. And so I'm going to kind of make some preparations for myself. And so they kind of lean on their, themselves and they say, you know what? I'm going to do these things. I'm going to take from God because I, I don't know if God is this God that will come through for me. And so they, they don't trust him. They don't believe that he's going to do what he says he would do. They allow their greed and their selfishness to cloud their view. God wasn't after their stuff in these stories. What God was doing, he was pursuing their hearts. And God knows that sin, what sin does is it violates that trust and that intimacy with his people. What sin does in our lives is it violates trust in our relationship with God and that intimacy that we have with him. That's why he's moving against this in these stories. And that's what is concerning in these stories to him. And so this morning, here's my question for us. As we think about these stories and we look at this, what has captured your heart? What is it that captures your attention and your time? What is it that you would say, you know what? These are the things that I'll focus on. Are they of God? Are they, are they a relationship with him? Is it walking with him every day? What are the things that sometimes can cloud our decision making? With Aiken, it was, hey, this is shiny and it's nice. And I don't know if I've ever seen this much money before. I'm going to take this for myself. With Ananias and Sapphira, it was like, hey, people are going to think we're as generous and we're as, as good as Barnabas was. And so let's do this. And we're going to we're going to get all these accolades and people are going to put us on a pedestal and they're going to pat us on the back and they're going to talk about how wonderful we are. And so let's give a little of this money. Let's keep a little bit of it for ourselves. And no one will ever know. Yeah. OK, God. Yeah, we did that. Um, and let's just kind of go on. And God looks at those hearts of those people and he says, this can't stand there, there's something that I want to do in the Old Testament with, with Joshua and, and the people that God was saying, I want to use the Israelite people in a mighty way. And I can't allow this to stand. This can't go on. In the New Testament, God wants to use the book or the, the church in, in Acts, in the book of Acts. And he says, this can't go on. I've got some big plans for my church. This whole series is about this church that God launches through the Holy Spirit. And I want, I want it to do some powerful things right here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and all over the world. And someday in Shelbyville, Kentucky. I've got some big plans for my church. And it all started there. And God said, you know what? We can't allow this sin because this sin is going to put a distance. It's going to put this cavern between me and my people. And so what we see here in these stories is how serious God takes sin. And how he knows that it violates the trust and the intimacy between his people. And so for for you this morning, here's a question for you. Does Jesus have the attention of your heart? Or are you distracted by some of the shiny things in this world? Does Jesus have the attention of your heart? It's easy, isn't it? Isn't it really easy to get distracted by the shiny things in this world and to allow those things to get in the way? It happened with Achan. It happened with Ananias and Sapphira. And sometimes it happens with us. God knows that the greatest challenges we face They won't come from the outside, but they come from within. God has always been more concerned with the sin within his people than anything this world may throw at us from the outside. In the book of Acts, he he knew that their biggest challenges, their biggest struggles, the things that had the potential to make them fall and to end all of this was what was going on right here in their heart. And so God says, these, these things 
are what we need to pay attention to. These things are what we need to understand are serious. And so this morning, as Jesus captivated your hearts, the, the Jesus followers that we read about in the book of Acts, they were living sacrificial, generous lives in their community. They were enjoying the fruits of that generosity. Jesus has, had captivated them. And they, they started to act different. They started to, to, to use different words. They started to spend their money in different ways. They, they were different people because Jesus had captivated their hearts. And so for us, what is it? What is it for you that captivates your heart? What is it for you that has the attention of your day and your week, your life? Is it Jesus? Is it what he's done for you and for us? That, that's what the early church did. They, they knew Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They'd seen Jesus teach and preach. He had captivated their heart. See, judgment came upon Ananias and Sapphira, not because of what they gave, but because they pursued their own good rather than the good of others in God's family. And the early church faced a lot of challenges from the outside. But the biggest challenge, the biggest obstacle came from within, from within their hearts. At the end of this chapter, there's more opposition from the outside. The high priest calls the apostles in. They put them in jail. An angel, God, God sends an angel to come and he releases them from jail. And the, the uh, religious leaders look up and they go, hey, what, why, we just put the, well, how are they back out there in the street? Like we just, we just put them in jail. And they say, I don't, we don't know. They were in jail and now they're not in jail. The door's not on. Like we don't know what's going on here. An angel released them. The high priest then says, well, we got to kill them. We got to end this. We got to kill them because this is getting too crazy. He's talked out of that with one of the other men in the room. And they say, hey, you know what? Let's let them be. You know, some of these other followings and some of these other groups and movements, they've popped up over time. And they all fizzle out. You know, the, the leader dies and the people go back to their old lives. And that's what will happen here again. So let's just let them be. This is all this is all going to die out. That Jesus guy, he's dead. He's gone. Forget about it. Let's move on. And so they say, all right, let's let them be. The apostles, uh, they, they, they say, okay, before you go back out, you have to stop. We, we, this is the second time that they said, you got to stop. You got to stop talking about Jesus. You got to stop preaching Jesus. And they say, we won't do that. And they say, okay. So they, so they beat them. They, they flog them. They whip them. And then they send them out. And they say, don't ever talk about Jesus again. And then I want you to look at how Acts chapter 5, verse 41 and 42 ends. The apostles left that high council meeting rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Think about this for a second. They've been persecuted now they've, they've been put in, in jail. They've been beaten. They've been told, if you keep doing this, like we're gonna, you're going to die. And it says that they rejoiced that God counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house... You see how this is, is, is something that is not contained to a, to a building or to like one little small group. But this is, is now going everywhere from house to house. They continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Opposition may come from the outside. And a lot of times it will come from the inside, won't it? But may we be counted a blessing from God. May we count it a blessing from the Lord when opposition comes. Maybe there are things in your life that you've lost. Relationships, jobs, opportunities, whatever, because of Jesus. <laughs> what the early church would say is good. You're doing it right. Right? 
What is it that opposes us in this world, maybe inside of ourselves, that causes us to lose in this world, but to gain for eternity? May we be worthy to suffer and sacrifice in the name of Jesus. May we continue to preach Jesus as the Messiah in season and out. And may we be a church, just like the church in Acts, that says, Holy Spirit, move. Holy Spirit, will you continue to move in us and through us? Will you continue to guide us? God, will you continue to show us your ways? Not our ways, because sometimes our ways get us in trouble. Sometimes our desires get us in trouble. Sometimes the things that we get distracted with can get us in trouble. But God, would you show us what it looks like to walk in your ways? And that's what he offers. Aren't you glad this morning that you can think about and count the victories in your life? Aren't you glad this morning that you're a part of a movement? You're a part of a people? Your roots started right there in Jerusalem in Acts thousands of years ago with a group of people that said, we're not going to shut up. We're going we're gonna to keep talking about Jesus as the Messiah. And we're going to show this world through the way that we love one another and the way that we love them and forgive them and the way that we give generously and the way that we just boldly and courageously go and be. That's how we're going to change this world. That's who we are. That's who you are. That's what the church is all about. Would you guys pray with me? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to talk about what you're doing. You continue to move today. Your spirit moves in us and your people. God, we recognize that you have something big for us and that we can't get distracted by the things of this world. And you won't allow your church and your people to do that. God, may we look at our lives and look at our hearts and evaluate where it is that we need to ask for forgiveness or we need to understand that that you want all of us, our heart, our mind, you want it all. God, may we be people that live generously, that love unconditionally, that are bold and courageous the way that we live our lives as a church. God, this morning, my prayer is that if there is a person, an individual in this room today that needs to know you as Lord and Savior, know that you sent your son Jesus to die for them. Know that you have a purpose and a plan for their lives that you want to send them out so that others may know about Jesus. God, I pray that they would hear that calling today understand the the seriousness and the urgency of what that means god with the with the days and weeks and months and years that you have left for us here on this earth maybe it's just a few moments as the church may we be found worthy may we be found worthy of of suffering for you in your name god may you look at us and go those are my people and it doesn't matter what the world may throw at them it doesn't matter what war they may wage on, in, on the inside with their heart and their mind as well. God, you are still in control. You are still on your throne. You've still defeated death and you've made us a promise for eternity. And that's what we hold on to today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? We're going to sing this song and maybe someone's here today. You want to talk to someone and pray with someone about something going on. We'd, we'd love to do that. Let's sing. Turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it.
his battle and we see victories i'm praying for victories we're praying for victories in your life we're praying for for victories in our community and around the world this week and i hope you'll join us in doing that as well hey if you're new here this morning we'd love to connect with you our guys out at the i'm new wall have a gift for you stop out there and say hey to those guys uh, if you want to know what's going on as far as a next step for you in our church you can go out to the i'm next i'm uh, the next step area and uh, those guys will connect with our next pathways is may the 11th also if you're interested in love the hungry we're doing a food packing uh, service project on may the 15th there's information on our website about that as well we did that a couple years ago didn't get to do it last year we're going to do that again on may 15th so if you want to be a part of that check that out and i've got more information about that hey you guys have a have a great week we love you and we'll see you next week